0: Scripture today is some excer- like four excerpts from the New Testament. So the first is Matthew 22, 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. Then from Galatians 5:6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Now 1 John 4:16 through 20. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us. i got to read that again. Hang on. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And then lastly, John 15:9 through 13. As the Father has loved me, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Uh, thanks, Vicky. For those of you that are wondering what 1 John is, it's what some parts of the world refer to as 1 John. I heard her say 1 John. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot in Britain and other parts of Europe. That's, that's what they say. 1 John, 1 Samuel, all that stuff. Um, so... It's always good to hear the foreigner among us read the Bible. Um, Now, my name is uh, Jonathan, and uh, one of the ministers here at Redeemer City, and we're in week two of a series on the Ten Commandments. Uh, And so what I want to do is just highlight a couple things Drew said last week. If you weren't here last week, uh, he talked about two ways of relating to the law, two wrong ways actually of relating to the law, and then the right way. Uh, And today, what I want to do is hopefully drill down into how do you actually obey the law? What's that look like? Uh, And last week, he underscored the fact that whether you tend to ignore the law or rely on the law, either way, you need a new heart to listen to the law, to experience the law, to do the law. Uh, and, and, And whether you tend to not take God's commands very seriously or you tend to rely on God's commands to make yourself feel better, or make yourself acceptable to him. The point is, both people, both types of people, need to be undone by the law. That is, they need to come to see that they can't keep it. Well, if you look on the insert, uh, on the other side of the insert that Vicky read from, uh, what's the goal of the Christian life? And if we had one word to say, uh, I think most of us could agree. And if not, it would be fun to talk through obedience. That's the goal of the Christian life obedience. Jesus says in Sermon on the Mount, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. 100% obedience. Well, obedience to what? Well, the law. Well, what is the law? How do you summarize the law? What's the essence of the law? And how can we obey it? And I hope at some point, not just today, but throughout this series, we'll we'll find ourselves overwhelmed at the requirement of the law, which is, uh, as we'll talk about a little bit more this morning, To love. And all we're left to do at that point is to cry out for mercy and ask Holy Spirit for help and to say, Holy Spirit, you alone can bear the fruit of faith in my heart because faith alone is the power source for obeying the law. Faith alone is the way I get to obedience, it's the fuel for my obedience. Now, if you're here and not a Christian, I hope uh, that this morning will provide some sense of the big picture of Christianity. What are we about? Because faith and love are kind of core dynamics out of which we operate as Christians. And so if you look at the outline there, uh, what I want to do is kind of work this out under three headings. First is to look at the, the law summarized. And incidentally, the outline kind of fits with the order of these scripture passages on the other side. So uh, that's kind of the way we're going to work through them. But look at the summary of the law. Why is it significant that Jesus quotes the two commandments that he chooses to quote? Secondly, uh, what's the only thing that counts in light of the main command of the law, which is to love? Uh, and look at look at the way Paul uh, kind of summarizes that in, in Galatians. And then lastly, uh, the, the, the pure agony and pure ecstasy of obedience. It's both. It is real hard, real terrifying to really enter into the work of love, and yet it's also incredibly joyous, right? It's both of those things at the same time. So let's start with uh, with the law, the law summarized. So if you look there in Matthew uh, 22, the Pharisees are bound and determined not to get trapped by Jesus because Matthew says when the Pharisees saw that he had literally in the Greek muzzled the the Sadducees who had come to him trying to trip him up about a question regarding the resurrection. And he did a mic drop with them, told them something, dropped the mic, walked away. Uh, When the Pharisees saw that, they were determined to trap him. And so they take the law, which for the Jews consisted of some 613 separate, specific commands, and they ask him to pick the most important one. So everybody's wondering, which commandment is the most important of all, Jesus? That's how Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, records the question. And you'd expect Jesus to pick at least one of the what? Ten commandments. I mean, it's a nice summary. There's only ten. And of all the ones God could have written down on tablets, certainly those ten are the most significant. Well, look at verse 40, the last verse of Matthew, uh, that passage in Matthew 22. Jesus says, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So none of the law or the prophets for the Jews, the entire Bible, none of the entire Bible works or makes any sense apart from these two commandments. Everything depends on getting these two commandments right. Well, why is that? Because these two commandments are the ten. First tablet, love for God. Do not have any other gods before me. Don't make a graven image. Don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. The second tablet is love for neighbor. Uh, Honor your father and your mother. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. I'm not saying them in order, forgive me. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet. So they ask him to choose the greatest commandment in the law, and he picks two that summarize the whole thing beautifully. He's such a genius. Jesus is. Uh, Older translations say this in verse 40. They say, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. As if to say, Like a door hangs on its hinges, everything in the law depends on and flows from these two, or nothing will work. And so, We're still on the big picture today before we begin to get into the actual commandments over the next few weeks. So some of you are thinking, are we ever gonna actually read from the Ten Commandments? We read them earlier. This is God's playground. Uh, Last week, Drew's reading from the New Testament. Jonathan's doing it again this week. What's going on? Uh, We're trying to paint a big picture before we really drill down into them Uh, because it'd be easy to go after them first but not paint this big picture. And the key is one word. Both commandments that Jesus uses begin with what three words? You shall love. Jesus is saying that it is only when we love that we can truly obey the law. And that without love we don't really understand what the commandments mean in the first place. Love is the core thrust of all the commandments in the law. And it is only as we love that we fulfill them. Love for God, love for neighbor. Those are the 10. And the basis of our love for God, which is where we've got to start, of course, is God's love for us because that's presumed, that's assumed, that's the basis or the foundation that Moses is working from when he says what Jesus quotes in Deuteronomy chapter six. We don't begin with our love, do we? If you do, you're in big trouble, because your love is flawed, your love's terrible, it's awful. Just ask somebody who, you tr- who you're trying to love. Ask somebody near you, close to you, in your family. You're terrible at loving. I am, ask my wife. And so if we begin with our love, we're in big trouble. We have to begin with God's love. And so Romans 5, verse 8, we are reminded by Paul, God's love is manifested to sinners in this, that when Jesus died... We were saved. He came for sinners. And when this love is received, it provides a basis for returning love for God. It transforms us. We get this new heart that the Bible refers to. But not only that, if we're going to start with God's love, we've got to describe God's love. What does God's love look like? Well, it's not vague love. This isn't some sort of nebulous idea or theory or thing that we're talking about. It's very concrete, it's very specific. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases because his mercies are new when? Every day. What are his mercies? Well, they're very specific things, right? And we could go through a long list. We experience his love every day from the breath in our lungs to the food on our table to a million other actual, real, tangible things that prove to us God is for us and is loving us. So we know what it means to love God only because of God's love for us through the law and the prophets. That's what Jesus is trying to get them to see. And this love can be dreadful and it can be even hard because, get this, because to be loved by God is to be forced to know ourselves truthfully. God loves us in spite of knowing us truthfully. That is what? We're sinners. And when you get to know someone, whether it's in marriage or a close friendship, the closer you get to them, What is the danger in getting really close to other people? You really get to know them. And when you really get to know them, you really get to know them. That they're pretty broken, as are you. But the wonderful truth is God loves in spite of knowing that, that I'm a sinner, that I'm a rebel, that I'd refuse him if he had not loved me first. What is the most famous, arguably, verse in all the Bible? God so loved, he was so in love with the world that he gave. He gave Jesus for sinners. And as Paul said last week, or as we read last week, I'm crucified with Christ, and now, in light of that, the life I live in the flesh, I live by what? By faith. I gotta live by faith. But I live by faith in light of the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So the sermon is really about or really does become about believing God's love on the one hand, that is faith, and then expressing God's love, that is love, because that is exactly where the battle for obedience to the law is won or lost. His law is love. So look at the short verse, the second thing, uh, uh, second verse there on your insert from Galatians 5, verse 6. Paul says, it's not ignoring the law or relying on the law the only thing that counts and what he says in Greek here is uh, the only thing that's profitable the only thing that matters the only thing that's worth anything that's literally what he's uh, the, the the sense there is faith working through love so what Paul does is he summarizes the two great commandments the two tables of the Ten Commandments with the words faith and love Jesus doesn't do that but uh, in essence, that's what Paul is doing in line with or in keeping with what Jesus has done with uh, the Pharisees back in Matthew 22. Remember, Galatians is written to a church that had lost the gospel. They had added a requirement. You could only be saved if you were circumcised. And Paul is arguing against that the entire letter. In fact, he's, he's hopping mad the entire letter at this church for losing the gospel. And in 5, 6, chapter 5, verse 6, Paul is saying that neither circumcision nor uncircumcision have any religious significance. In fact, they're not even relevant to the conversation. And you got to understand for the Galatians and for the people, the the Jewish uh, believers who were in the church and who had really messed them up, to hear him say that would have been shocking. It does not matter if you've been circumcised, Paul says. It does not matter if you've been uncircumcised. Because either way, either party, either group was trying to work toward building a self-righteousness. Well, you know, I'm not circumcised. So certainly he's not talking to me. And the circumcised would say, well, I'm not uncircumcised. I've been circumcised. I've kept the law. And Paul says, neither one of you are right. Life is a matter of two things, faith and love. And so this is really where I want to land and try to work through uh, slowly with you. I'll go ahead and clue you in. It's the longest point of the three uh, because I would argue it's, it's, it's the most important one and it's the piece where we really do kind of work out on the pavement of life um, what it means to be a Christian. And if if I could say... The DNA of Redeemer is to equip, enable, empower, train up people, disciples, who are living out this dynamic every day in all their relationships. That's really the the, the dream. So faith working through love or faith expressing itself through love, that's what Paul says there, receiving and resting in God's love for me is the only basis of my ability to love you. In the original language, Paul uses a word that looks an awful, like, uh, awful lot like our word, energy. So faith is the energy. It's the power source. It's the fuel cell. It's like the plutonium that drives the turbines of our lives to be able to love. But let's be honest. Faith is really hard, isn't it? Okay, maybe not for you. As I did get a lot of amens there, but, uh, but it is for me. So uh, amen, I'll say it again. Faith is really hard. Amen. Mm, yes, it is. Uh, because it's believing something we might know to be true, but we don't always experience it to be the case. Jesus Christ came to seek and save sinners and turn them into sons. And it's a daily struggle to believe that what the gospel says about me is true. In Christ Jesus, the gospel says... I'm made righteous and acceptable because Jesus was made unrighteous and unacceptable on the cross. Receiving and believing that, which means I have to acknowledge my lack, my inability, my I can't. Receiving and acknowledging that, keeping any one of the Ten Commandments is impossible for me. To to say any of that takes faith. Faith like that is a believing that owns up to the fact that my flesh is very real my failures are very constant. They're in my face. My self-concern is gross, all of that. And then what I do is I begin to disown that as I turn to lay hold of Christ. According to one writer, uh, Richard Lovelace, he put it this way. So listen, I don't have this on the uh, screen for you, so you just got to listen. It's a great quote. He says this, It is an item of faith that we are children of God. Well, there's plenty of evidence against it. The faith that surmounts that evidence, that is, overcomes that evidence, and is able to warm itself at the fire of God's love, instead of having to steal self-acceptance from other sources, is actually the root of holiness or obedience. We never outgrow faith. And whatever other fruits of the Spirit we show, they grow upon faith. So think about it this way take the analogy of the tr- of a tree your faith is the roots of the tree and you water those roots and those roots begin to go down and get stronger and attach themselves to other roots and so forth as the tree begins to kind of go this way the roots are going down this way and faith is the root of our tree whatever other fruits of the spirit we show they grow on faith and so as your tree the tree of your life is growing What does Paul say later in chapter five of Galatians are the fruit of the spirit? Thank you, that's the first one. There's no coincidence there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and the like. But those things are growing, those fruits are growing off the branches of a tree that's rooted in faith. And see, you gotta have both. Because here's what happens. If I have faith but no love, then I'm constantly, even obsessively focused on the work of Jesus, but only for who? Me. I keep looking inward to deal with sin. Not a bad thing, but why do I do that? Well, I do that in order to know God's love for me better. The problem is, it can become very self-focused, and I turn into what we call a gospel narcissist, which sounds like an oxymoron, right? sounds like a contradiction, but it's true. A tragic example of that, actually, in thinking on a a current event or something recent seems to be the young man in California who attacked the synagogue. It seems like he was very aware of Jesus' work for him, even based on some things that he wrote, and he knew a lot of doctrines of the faith. But it sounds like he knew the vertical dimension of faith very well, but not the horizontal, right? He didn't apply it horizontally. In fact, the human heart is so corrupt and hardwired for deception through boasting and showing off that without love, I can make my faith look and sound any way I want, and that's scary. That's what happens if, it's fa- if you try to do faith without love, and it's why Paul says, and we just read it recently in 1 Corinthians, you can have faith that moves mountains, but if you don't have love, what's Paul say about faith that can move mountains? Worthless. On the flip side, if I have love but no faith, I do the right thing, but only because I think it wins me points with God. By the way, Jesus points are not real. It's a joke. Those of you that don't know me very well, you may have heard me say that in the past about Jesus points, ha ha ha, it is kind of a funny joke, but they're not real. You can't earn points with him, okay? And if I have love but no faith, I'll do the right thing, but only because I think it wins me those points. I'll emphasize tolerance, acceptance, peace, love, harmony. There's no talk of sin or brokenness. It's really hollow. And if I have love but no faith, I tend to be a person who will give advice to people, but there's always a paternalistic feel to my interactions. I'm just dispensing advice. Let me just tell you how to do things or how to live your life. I know what's wrong with you. Just shut up and listen. But there's no humility and if you have love but no faith, then here's what happens. If I try to love you and I move toward you and you reject me, then guess what I'm going to do? See you later. I'll just leave. I'll walk away. And so look at the next passage there from 1 John four sixteen to 20. And we don't have time to go through this whole passage. I would commend the book of 1 John to you or 1 John. Take your pick. But the whole book is amazing because it's written by the same guy who experienced the love of Jesus in some pretty profound ways. And I read recently that when he was super old, like could barely walk, see, he was in the very, very end stages of his life, and he had some disciples. And he would say to them over and over again all day long, and this was sort of uh, a historical document that, that drew attention to this, he would just say over and over again all day long, little children, love one another. Little children, love one another. And they would say, what about this, uh, teacher? What about this? What about this? He said, oh, if you just do that, everything else will take care of itself. So what I want to try to do is explain this visually using First John, bless you, First John 4, 16. Verse 16, so we have come to know and to believe, did you? Don't put it up there yet, Joe. So we've come to know and to believe that God, the love that God has for us, that's faith. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us, that's faith. God is love, and then whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It gets kind of confusing, but that's love. So here's how this works for the visual learners among you. I'm gonna turn around so that I can see it too. I hope you can see it. I'm gonna try to explain this. Uh, as you sort of work through 1 John 4, 16. So me on the right and you on the left. And the first move is whoever lives in love, okay? So you see the arrow going to you. This is me moving toward you to love you. So spouses, think about this, or a close friend, um, someone that you're trying to move toward in love at the moment. So what, that, what happens is whoever lives in love, he says lives in God. I got notes over here, I just realized. So I'm gonna read these while you pay attention. Can't do this without my notes, I apologize. So I start with faith. That is God's love uh, for me. And so as I grow in knowing and believing that, I venture out to love you, that's number one. But what deepens my love for God or my faith is you. Because as I learn to love you, to die for you, uh, to inconvenience myself for you, the only place I can go is where? Look at number two. What's the move? The move is, as I, go, I sort of move toward you, but, but you're hard to love, so whoever lives in love lives in God. It drives me to God. And that move fills me with more fuel, more endurance for the next move toward you, which is number three. I need Jesus in me to love you. So whoever lives in love lives in God and now God in him. And if God is in me, what does that allow me to do? Move back toward you. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? Is that helpful at all? Okay, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it it's 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 somewhat obscure um but but sometimes you find that visual things uh, can help with some of these verses in the Bible that just seem to say the same thing 20 different ways. But you are the door to a deeper relationship with God in my life, you. And if you're married, this is the gift of your spouse, (laughs) whether you believe it or not. Sometimes it's hard to believe that, just ask Jamie, she'll tell you. Jonathan is not often the doorway into a deeper relationship with God in my life. If you have children, this is the gift that they are. Because to move toward them sometimes, especially when they're real pain in the neck to love, you have to be moving back into God. It forces you back into faith. We fail in love because we fail in faith first. And so when I don't put Jamie's needs ahead of mine, it forces me back into believing afresh that Jesus put his needs ahead of mine. And that is my power to love my neighbor, in this case, Jamie, my wife, as myself. So you see how love for God and love for neighbor are intertwined. And when you fail at one, it's because you failed at the other. And you got you to gotta work through both of them kind of at the same time. And by the way, this circle, you and I do a thousand times a day. The question is, when we do number one, do we revert back? Basically the other direction to ourselves, or does it force us back to God? Does it force us up into God? And oftentimes, instead of forcing us back up into God, if we just go internal and then we become self-absorbed, and then we just think, "Well gosh, they're terrible. Well, how could they say no to that? Well, why don't they want to do that with me? Well, why does she not agree with me about that way to spend our money, or etc, etc, etc you can begin to see why Jesus was so frustrated with the Pharisees. They were all faith and no love. Uh, But it's so much easier to live like that, isn't it? Just to do faith, because love is hard. And that's where I wanna end. Why is love hard? Why are we so bad at it? Well, at least part of the answer to that question is we are bad at love because we're bad at faith. I just mentioned that. But we're also bad at love because it's terrifying but it can also be enjoyable even fun now back to the tree analogy for just a minute if faith is the root then love will be a fruit and so another major reason why love is so hard and frightening is because suffering and sacrifice are the soil where love grows the best in fact as self concern dies the ground of my faith is fertile with excuse me the ground of my life is fertile with faith. There is no way that we can die to ourselves apart from faith in the gospel. We need faith to ignite love in us. And listen, where there's less of me, there's more of Jesus for me and in me, and then, here's the best part, through me toward you. Now, the last passage is John 15, so if you look there on your uh, worship folder insert, John 15, I'm not going to read the whole passage But he says, if you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as what? Just as I have done. I've kept my dad's commands. I abide in my dad's love. And then he says, I've told you all this so that you will be full of what? Joy. So it can be fun to love. It can be enjoyable to love. I looked up the definition of fun, and one way to define it is something you enjoy. So sometimes people pick on me for using the word fun. Christianity is supposed to be fun. We should be having fun doing pastoral ministry. You're not having fun being pastored by somebody who's not having fun, et cetera, et cetera. Somebody will be like, it's not all about fun. Well, there seems to be a connection with joy and obedience. There really does. Stanley Hauerwas, a uh, uh, commentator on Matthew, said this. To be a Christian is to be called to a life of love, but that calling is a lifelong task that requires our willingness to be surprised by what love turns out to be. A life committed to loving your neighbor is a life full of surprises, isn't it? Because again, it can be scary and thrilling to ask someone, so, how can I help you? Oh man. And I'm not talking about when you're paid to ask them, so how can I help you? I'm talking about a person you know is a train wreck or their life is a train wreck or there's lots of struggles that you're about to enter into and you ask those questions. You ask that that question, how can I help you buckle your seatbelt? So it's scary, but it's thrilling. And Jesus says the pain of laying down your life for someone else is pure joy because he says love each other as i've loved you how did he love us he became sin so we could become righteous he gave up his status in heaven so we could be included at the table he disappeared in his life so many times so that other people could emerge and get lifted up and honored he says love one another like that And so it's terrifying to disappear, it's terrifying to lose or to not be in control, but it's there, it's there, abiding in his love that we find this fullness of joy, the joy of obedience to his commands, the joy of keeping the law, because, after all, playgrounds are fun. And so I would commend to you uh, to think through, to meditate on uh, some of these passages uh, that we have together And as we begin to drill down into the commandments over the next few weeks, remember, remind yourself again and again, it's faith in God that fuels or yeah, it's faith in God that fuels my love for you. It's receiving God's love for me that sources my love for you. And when you failed in love, because you're gonna fail in love over and over again, go back to Him. Go back to him, go back to him over and over and over again. Let's pray, Lord Jesus, please make your love more real to us that we might receive it and rest in it, and that it would produce and bear great fruit of love, joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, because we all know when we've met people, and we know people, we know people in this room that radiate those things, love, joy, peace, patience, and we wanna be around them. And we, we all know that there's something beautiful and lovely about that way of living. Would you make us like that? Fill us with faith anew, that we might love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and as we do, it would produce a love for our neighbor, and that you would be glorified and honored as a result, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So if your faith is in Christ, uh, receive these words. May they be one final shot, sort of injection of faith into you as you go uh, to enter into whatever work of love he's calling you to. Rest assured, it will be difficult, sometimes scary, but know there's lots of joy and thrill on the other side of it too, okay? So receive these words. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you, give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.